Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to have success. Listen as we learn about this life-changing word in this series called Secret to Success. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs this morning. We are going to be all over the Proverbs today. We're in a series of messages that we are calling The Secret to Success and uh, talking about what the Bible says about being success. We looked at wisdom as the key to success a couple of weeks ago. We talked about leadership. Last week, Pastor Keith did a great job of talking to us about our attitudes, didn't he? That was a great word. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 is where we're going to start today. Chapter 24, verse 3 says this. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Interesting concept that's, that's presented to us here, and it's this idea. The Bible says that wisdom leads to security and blessing and prosperity. The Bible says that wisdom will lead you to a place of security and blessing and prosperity. Now, you can chase after prosperity in a lot of different ways, and you might even find it for a season, but the truth is, true prosperity is the byproduct of wisdom. Look look what the Bible says again, Proverbs 10, verse 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Here's what we're going to see in this message, and it's an interesting topic for us to consider, that there are benefits to wealth. Now, the Bible talks about this. It says that when you have resource, you have security. Proverbs says it brings friends, it brings influence, and this is an interesting conversation for us to have. Now, look, wealth is not everything, and just so you know, right out of the gate, this is not a prosperity gospel message, okay? Are you familiar with the phrase prosperity gospel? There's some teaching that says that if you just believe enough, or if you just kind of speak it, or or whatever, that God is actually more like Santa Claus than he is your savior. And he's obligated to give you what you ask for, or that you know you're truly blessed if you have. I don't think that's the true teaching of scripture. And that's not what we're talking about today. But here's what's important for us to understand. Wealth is not everything. In fact, Proverbs is explicit that you're better off to be righteous and uh, to have little with righteousness than to have a lot with unrighteousness. Wealth is temporal, wealth is fleeting. However, money is a gift from God. And the reality is that there are blessings that come with finances if they are understood. And if that's true, if what Proverbs says to us, if you are a wise person, then the child of God should know that they must be a good steward of what God has entrusted to them. And we're in this series in the book of Proverbs where we're talking about what Proverbs says to us about success. And the reality is that a lot of times in Scripture, this subject of money comes up. Our topic today is success with money. And this is always a tricky one. Because people say, I don't know if we should be talking about this in church. Should we really be talking about money? In fact, oftentimes, we're afraid to talk about it. And there's two temptations that come as soon as you hear that there's some kind of message about money. The first is this, that you go, I didn't come here today to hear about money. I came here today to have Chad fix my problems. Uh, Not to talk about money. And so the temptation is just kind of to check out, to not pay attention, to kind of just zone out on this one. I want to encourage you not to do that. The other temptation is to say this, I knew it. The church 
is all about money. In fact, I was also a little concerned, anytime you preach a message like this, that if you're a guest here today, our subject every week is not money, amen? This is not the, the truth. But the church has not always done a good job with this. In fact, some of you may have even had a bad experience with regards to teaching in the church about money. Today is not a push for cash. Today's a look at what the Bible says, where we're at in the book of Proverbs about our finances. And it's not just Proverbs where we read this. Jesus talks about it a lot. Do you remember the passage in Matthew chapter 6 where he says that you can't serve two masters? You serve one or the other. You can't serve God and money. In fact, he goes on to say that we're to store up our treasures not on earth, but in heaven, and that where our treasures are, that's where our heart will be also. Here's what he's saying to us, and this is why this is so important. The story of your bank account reveals the state of your heart. The story your bank account could tell reveals, it exposes, it shows the state of your heart. Your spending reveals what you value. Isn't that true? What's important to you is what you'll put your cash behind. Your saving betrays your self-discipline. Your credit exposes your challenges. And your giving, your giving reflects your trust in God. The truth is the story of your bank account shows the state of your heart. And some of you are saying, well, that's cool. I'm sure the Bible talks about it. But Chad, I don't, I don't have a lot to give I can handle the spending thing. (laughs) When it comes to credit, I don't want to talk about it. When it comes to saving, I can't do it. When it comes to giving, God's just going to have to work without me because I'm barely being able to do paying my bills. What do I do with this? Today, I simply just want to look at what Scripture says to us, in particular in the book of Proverbs, about how we handle our resources, how we can use what we have to honor God in the way that he's designed for it to happen, because the Bible speaks about this a lot into the the things that we should do. It also gives us a lot of cautions. Look at this, Proverbs 17, verse 16. It says, why should fools have money in hand to buy wisdom when they are not able to understand it? Why should fools have money in hand to buy wisdom when they're not able to understand it? He's saying, look, fools don't do well with money. It does them no good if they don't have wisdom. Remember throughout the book of Proverbs, the opposite of being wise is to be a fool. And we don't want to be fools. We want to be successful with our money and with what God has given to us. We want to find these secrets to success. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little bit of a different approach today. I want to show you today that if you want to be a fool... (laughs) This is what you should do with your resources. I don't want to give you get-rich-quick tips. I don't want to try to show you how to amass wealth. I just want us to talk today about four ways to fool around with money. Four ways today to fool around with money. If you don't want to be wise, if you want to be a fool with what you've been given, here's what Scripture says you should do. There's an old English saying that says, a fool and his money are soon parted. It's not in the Bible, but it's true. And so today, I want to show you four ways to fool around with money. Here's the first one. Number one, if you want to be a fool with what you have, number one, be lazy. Number one, be lazy. Now, now the Proverbs speaks about this a lot. There are a lot of verses in Proverbs about this idea of either laziness or hard work. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says this, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Pretty much sums it up. Hard work pays off. What is hard work? I think hard work is when you make an effort instead of making excuses. When you say, I'm willing to do the work, I'm willing to do what it takes, I'm gonna put in hard work, 
I'm going to do the effort instead of making excuses about it. I'm thankful that I grew up in a family where this was not only communicated and expected, but where it was modeled. I learned it. I saw it from my parents. Because there's this myth that I believe the lazy person believes. You can begin to think that you can establish lasting wealth without hard work. And that's a myth. The truth is, it doesn't come without working hard. Maybe, I've I've told this story before, but I've I've thought about this over the years as I've had to kind of learn this lesson. When I I was a kid, um, my parents both worked, and so a lot of days, especially in the summer, I would be left home alone. And oftentimes, my parents would leave this list that would say, Chad, by the time we get home, you better have these things done, right? And so that was spelled out there, and I knew that I had so much time in the day to get it done. So the list was there, it was on the counter, I'd look at it, and I knew that at 4.30, that garage door was going to go up. And when that garage door went up, that list better be done. It's just kind of the way it worked. So there'd be different things that I'd need to do. And just about every day it would be on there that I needed to practice the guitar. I was taking guitar lessons at the time, and I enjoyed it because I'd stand in the mirror and look like a rock star. I mean, it was cool and all that kind of thing. But it wasn't very good. And, and I didn't enjoy practicing because it was work. But my mom expected me to do it. And she's like, if you're going to continue to take these lessons, if we're going to pay for these things, you need to practice so much time a day. So what I would do is I would wait till the very end of the day, probably till about, I don't know, 425 or so. And then I would practice the guitar. I would wait till the very last minute. They said practice. It was on the list. I'm going to practice. And I'd wait till the very end of the day so that if my mom said, did you practice? I could go, yes, mom, I did. And I would still have like the spots on my fingers from pressing on the strings. And I could be like, just speak to the hand, right? You know, because they were right there. I could prove it. Now, here's the deal. Did I do what was on the list? Absolutely. Did I work hard? No, I was lazy. I did just enough to show that I had done what was expected of me. Do you know what the benefit of that was? I'm not a very good guitar player. Why? I didn't practice. I don't have the benefits of that. Hard work pays off. And if you think that you can get by just by doing certain things, that's a myth. Proverbs 28 verse 20 says, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Now, this may be a little harsh to think about, but here's what this verse says. It says the lazy person is an unfaithful person. A lazy person is an unfaithful person. Unfaithful to a task, what what they have in front of them to do. Unfaithful to their responsibilities. Unfaithful, really, to God's opportunities that he gives to them. And so many times in our culture, we want to find these get-rich-quick schemes. We want to find these things that are just going to, you know, we see the story of the 21-year-old millionaire, and we like, that's it, that's me, I want that. The problem is, I'm not 21 anymore, right? The truth is, that's not how Scripture says it works, but we want that. And so it leads to certain things in our lives. We, We lead to procrastination, I'll take care of it later. Or we try to take shortcuts. We try to get around the hard work. Or maybe we think we'll take a risk and we'll just get lucky and that'll, that'll do it for us. And many of us live in a fantasy. I've known people over the years who have said, I'm just on the verge of the next big thing. It's the next big thing. I'm just about to hit it big. Now the truth is, I hope that you have dreams. And I hope you chase after them. And I hope you have expectation of what God's going to do. The difference I've seen between my friends that have just been chasing after the next big thing and those that have done something with their lives is that when they've dreamed, they've dreamed with their eyes open. When I dream with my eyes closed, I wake up and it's gone. But when I see a dream out in front of me and I dream with my eyes open and I see what it's going to take to get there and the hard work I'm going to have to put in to do that, that's the kind of dream that pays off. 
And so this is what scripture speaks about, that we need to be those kinds of people to be willing to do the effort to get things done. There was a guy named Eugene Poli. He grew up in Chicago his whole life. He started out as a stock boy for Zenith Electronics during the Depression. He worked there for 47 years, and he became an uh, engineer as he was working there. You might not know his name, but you thank God for him every day because he is the inventor of the remote control. He's not here. You don't have to clap. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Zenith said, you know what, we, we want to make this easier for people. So they created this thing called Lazy Bones. And Lazy Bones was this big device that was tethered to the TV. And so you could take it only so far and then you could sit there and you could use it to change channels and stuff. And the president of Zenith said, that's stupid. We can do better than this. What can we do better? And Eugene invented what was called the Flashmatic. And the Flashmatic had this different technology that you could use to change the channel on your TV without getting out of the chair. And at one point in his life, he had, he had some pretty high hopes for this. This is an exact quote from Eugene Poli. He said, as he thought about this, he said, maybe I did something for humanity, like the guy who invented the flush toilet. <laughs> all right, all right, keep your goals out there, Gene. And, but here's what happened. He says, it's cool because I feel like I've helped those that may have physical disabilities or the elderly. He said, but it also led to a point where the remote control was blamed for obesity, for sparking marital spats, yeah, <laughs> causing many TV viewers, TV viewers to zone out as they channel surf. The truth is, and here's a quote from John Ortberg, life without the remote control is an absolutely unbearable burden for the modern American family. If you don't believe that's true, hide the batteries this afternoon and watch what happens. Pretty cool thing, except here's what Eugene said at the end of his life. He said, about his regrets. <laughs> he said, everything has to be done remotely now or forget it. Nobody wants, this is a quote, nobody wants to get off their fat and flabby to control their own electronic devices. Now look, I'm not asking you to give up your remote control. The truth is, I'm pretty thankful for mine. And it, by the way, Rhonda, at my house, I get to hold this. That's the way that it works, right? I'm in charge of this thing. Thankful for it. If there's a better way to do something, find the better way to do it. But here's what happens for many of us. We put our lives on remote control. And we say, if I don't have to do it, I won't do it. I'll find another way around it. And we just start pushing buttons. And the truth is, friends, you can't, you can't push your buttons on the job, not really put the work in. You can't just push the buttons and think it's gonna get done. And you certainly can't push the buttons with your family. You can't put your money on a remote control status. If your life is lived by pushing buttons instead of pushing yourself, the result is laziness. At some point I have to ask, have I resorted to the fact that, that not, not necessarily finding a better way, but that I've not got my heart in this thing. And I'm more interested in just pushing buttons and getting through this thing than I am about pushing myself and seeing what's ahead. In fact, there's a word for this. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 25. The craving of a sluggard. Isn't that a great word? Say it with me. Sluggard. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. What a, what a great word. What's a sluggard? Well, it sounds like what it is. It's a lazy individual who refuses to work and whose desires are not met. 
And if you want to do an interesting study, read through the book of Proverbs and see all the places where it mentions the sluggard. Here's one of them. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. I had a roommate in college who had a class before mine, so he would get up and get ready, and he wasn't quiet. He would get up and get ready before I had to get up for the class that I had. And there were days when I'd still be laying in bed, and before he'd walk out the door, he'd come over and hover over my bed, and he'd go, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And he'd quote that to me. And I still have not forgiven him for that, right? Look, this, this passage of Scripture is not forbidding naps. If that were the case, many of you would fall into sin before this day's over, right? It's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is this. There is this idea in Scripture that we are to work hard. There's a big difference between the lazy and the diligent. And when God provides us with opportunities, we have to make the most of them. The lazy person forfeits the provision God makes available to them. Just misses it. Either from the fact that they don't want to do the work or because they're so out of tune with what he's doing because they haven't put in the effort that as a result, they miss the opportunities that God wants to bring their way. Watch this passage, Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 16. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. That's just fun to read. But here's what it's saying. Look, there's risks with laziness. You know what the sluggard does? Well, the sluggard says, look, I don't don't really feel like going out there because what if there's a lion out there? What if there's something bad out there for me? And fear will keep you from success. Apathy will rob you of experiences. If you let a lack of effort come into your life, it'll steal reward from you. You'll have your hand on the bread, it says, but sluggard, you're too lazy to bring it to your mouth. I think one of the most dangerous ones is that last verse, verse 16, where it says a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. The truth is, and oftentimes you can see this with lazy people, that they'll let their limited perspective make them unteachable. If I have to learn it's going to be work, then I'm going to steer clear of this. Because I'd rather just push buttons than push myself. It's an interesting challenge for us. And I would challenge you parents and grandparents that one of the primary roles of the Christian parent is to teach their children the value of hard work. You want them to succeed? You want them to, to find God's plan for their life? Teach them the value of hard work. Proverbs 12, 27 says this. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Here's the Chad Gilligan version. Diligent work precedes delicious reward. If you want the delicious reward, then first, you're going to have to work hard. Unless, unless you just want to be a fool, and then number one, be lazy. 
Here's a second way that you can fool around with money. Uh, The first one has to do with how you get it. The second one has to do with what you do once you've received it. Number two is to spend carelessly. Number one is to be lazy. Number two is to spend carelessly. The Proverbs speak about this to us. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 7 says this, one person pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. There's an interesting parallel here because it says there are those who don't have money, but they pretend to have money. And if they pretend to have money, that typically means that they're going to spend a lot. And when they spend a lot, they spend what they don't have. And in the end, they're left with nothing. So we have to be careful what we do with our resources because the wise person spends responsibly. The wise person takes what they have and spends it responsibly. You take care of your responsibilities. You honor your commitments. You live within your means. You're careful with credit. You realize that what you have in your hands is a, is a resource that has to be valued and not just spent without giving some care and consideration to it. One of the unique things that we experienced when we were in Cuba was that for about that whole week, we didn't really have any communication with the outside world. The places where we stayed did not have internet access. The churches did not have that internet access. We went in our phones. Um, It just wasn't cost effective for us to have a plan on our phone that we could use while we were there. So what we found is there was no way for us to be in touch. So we left on Saturday, and by the end of the day Sunday, I thought I was going to pass out from internet withdrawal, right? I hadn't looked at Facebook in how long? You know, I don't know what you ate for lunch. I mean, it was that kind of thing, right? So then what we found out was the only way we were going to be able to kind of get in touch was we would have to go to a park, a place where there was this public access for Wi-Fi, and we had to buy a card, and you you would buy with a code that would give you time on the internet. So we paid for the card so you would get 60 minutes of internet access. Now, when I'm using my computer, if I'm using my phone, I don't think about how much time I'm on. I don't think about what I'm doing. I've got Wi-Fi at home. I just do what I want to do. You know, it's just Wi-Fi at church. doesn't matter. I got data plan with my phone, it's okay, I don't care about it. When I was there, I knew I had 60 minutes. And I watched those minutes, didn't I? Because I wanted to make sure, I've got to value this because I only have so much time, to the point that I made sure I saved some in case I was going to have the opportunity to use it later. Because I didn't know how this was going to play out, because I only had so much. What happens is, we stop being good stewards of what we have sometimes, and we just start spending carelessly. We don't value that. We don't do it with our time like we should, and our time's a limited resource. I don't think we do it with our abilities the way that we should. There's talents that God has given to you where either in the workplace or maybe even in the church that you could be using, but do you realize that? And man, is it true with our finances. Now, I know that these may seem like some very basic things to consider, but it's probably good for us to ask these questions. Do do you have a budget? Do you ever think about sticking to that budget? Are you on the same page with your family, with your spouse with that budget? Have you ever thought about what your spending reveals? Does it reveal lapses in your character? That there's things about your spending that you really want any, wouldn't want anyone else to know? Does your spending reveal that some of your priorities may be out of focus? Even to the point that the story that your bank account tells shows that there are things beyond God that are more important to you. Does it show any weaknesses in your self-discipline? How are you doing with that impulse spending? Do you have any speed bumps in your life or maybe understandings within your family that help you to gauge what you spend and when you spend it and how you spend it? Are you actively pursuing a plan to eliminate debt? Do you have a commitment to save? Proverbs talks about that. Proverbs 13, 11, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
Not only does the wise person spend responsibly, but the wise person saves consistently. Finds ways to do that. You may say, well, I don't have much. How am I going to do that? I don't know. Start with what you have. Every little bit, it says here, makes a difference. You save it little by little, and it makes it grow. The wise person spends responsibly, saves consistently, unless, unless you want to be a fool. We can talk about that. Number one, if you want to be a fool with your money, be lazy. Number two, if you want to be a fool with your money, spend carelessly. Here's the third one, another fun word to say. Number three, be stingy. Third way to be a fool with your money is to be stingy. What's that mean? Well, look at this. Proverbs 21, again, verse 25. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. We're an interesting contrast here between how the lazy craves, but the righteous give. Understand this. Generosity is an attribute of the wise and righteous person. If you want to see someone who is doing their best to have wisdom, what you'll find, and I've found this to be true just in my interaction with people, they are people who are generous. They are people who are willing to take what they have, what God has given to them, and be willing to share it with other people. This, this was actually something really interesting that we saw when we were in Cuba. And, and I, I would say this, this trip in a lot of ways was so different from other places that we've been. The people that we interacted with, in particular in the church, the pastors, the church people that we met, were some of the most giving people that I've ever met. Not because of so much that they had, but just about who they were. They were willing to take what they had and share it with other people. And this reveals something, that generosity is an internal thing. It's not about what you have, it's about who you are. It's not how much of your money you can give, it's about how much of yourself you're willing to be able to share with other people. Now look, I, I, know, I know that sometimes there are some of us that when you hear something like this, you're ready to give away the farm. <laughs> so let me just give a disclaimer here. Don't give the farm away. Do it responsibly. You have responsibilities that you need to meet. You have people that God has entrusted to you. You can ask him for wisdom. But remember this, for the stingy person, there are ramifications. The privilege that we had while we were in Cuba was that we were, we were teaching pastors, and in particular, we were teaching pastors based on our experience here in Calvary, what it means to be a church that invests in world missions, that supports missionaries, and has the opportunity to send people around the world to communicate the gospel message. Now, one of the things that's interesting about that is that requires that as a church that you're generous. And sometimes generosity is a tough thing. It's tough for us because it means that I take something that I have and that I give it to you. I have it. In fact, the truth is I could probably make a pretty good argument that I need it. This resource that I have is something I need to hold on to for this reason or that reason or don't you know that I could use it for this or that. But the idea of generosity is that I'm willing to say this thing that I have, I'll give it to you. Now, this is, this is what I would refer to oftentimes as the concept of, of having open hands. Because when I just want to hold on to what I have, I have it, but what if God wants to give me something new or different? What if God wants to give me something more? I can't receive it because I've got nowhere to put it because I'm too busy holding on to what I have. But when I'm willing to go, God, what I have is yours, and I open up my hands to give that to him, look what position I'm in. I'm in a position to receive now. 
I'm in position for him to entrust something new to me, to give something to me. What happens to the stingy person is that it holds so tightly to what they have without being willing to give to those that may be in need, without being willing to give when God encourages them to, without being obedient to the Spirit when that, that little kind of nudge towards generosity comes. If I'm too busy holding on to it, then my hands are too tight and I can't be open to receive what God wants to put in my hands. What's the ramification of that? Proverbs 28, 22. The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. In a world full of the unknown, the stingy set themselves up for a loss. We can't receive if we're holding on too tightly to what we have. In our connect groups this week, this is one of the things that we'll talk about. How, how do you respond? When you feel like God wants you to be generous towards someone, what's, what's the right way to respond? But it shows us here that those that give allow themselves to be in a place to receive from God, unless, unless you want to be a fool, and then you can be lazy, spend carelessly, be stingy. Let me give you the last one, number four. If you want to be a fool with your money, ignore the source. Number four, ignore the source. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now look, next couple of minutes, I wanna share some principles with you. And these, these aren't just true about our finances. In this verse, it deals with that. But these things are true about our whole life when God entrusts something to us, whatever it is, how do we respond with that? Well, recognize this, that God is the source of all that we have. God is the source of all that we have. James chapter 1 verse 17 says every good and perfect gift comes from God. First Chronicles chapter 29, when David is dedicating the gifts that have been given for the building of the temple, he says, God, we recognize that all that we have comes from you. God is the source. There is nothing that you have that did not come from him. And if you want to say, hey, I own that, that's mine, you're actually mistaken. You're just a steward. It's his. He's given it to you. And in the same way that it came, the, the flow of that blessing can be turned off if you're not careful. I'm really thankful that I have a house with running water. It's a really cool thing. I don't think about it that much. When I'm in the kitchen, wanna cook something, man, I just turn on the water. If I wanna drink, get it from the faucet, go over the fridge, whatever, I, I do that. When, um, when I'm in the bathroom, I wanna brush my teeth, I just turn the water on, I'm thankful for that. When I'm in the bathroom, wanna turn on the shower, you're thankful for that, right? That's how it works. If I want to wash my clothes, I don't think about it, the water's there. Most of the time I forget the fact that there's this pipe that comes in in my basement, and that's where the water flows into my house. It doesn't just magically show up in my house. There's a source that it comes from. And I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but it's good that I know that it's there. I gotta make sure that it's maintained, and if I'm not careful, what will happen is that that source can be turned off. In fact, you, you could take a tool, a wrench, or some, some pliers, and you'd go down there, and there's this, there's, there's this big valve that's there, and you could take that, and you could turn that, and you could turn the flow of that water off. Or if you turn it a certain way, you could restrict how much is coming. You need to be aware where that source is, or otherwise, in those other places in your life where you eat, where you're blessed, what helps you to be provided for. If that source isn't right, if I just bury it in the basement and forget about it, then that flow's not gonna come the way that I need it. 
Look, this is entirely true about your life with God as well. It's true about every aspect of your life. God is the source, is he not? And if I ignore him, if I just think it's just gonna flow on its own, look, I can go down in the basement and I can turn that thing off if that's what you want me to do. And there'll even be water for a little while because it's still in the pipes. But eventually, it's gonna be nasty and it's gonna go away. And when it dries up, I'll go, what happened? Oh, I forgot the source. God is the source of all that we have. And if we're not careful, and this is especially true in the area of our finances, because for many of us, we thank God for what he's given to us, but we don't acknowledge him as the I feel kind of, we don't acknowledge him shaking these. Sorry, I didn't mean to get angry about it, but here's the deal. If we don't acknowledge that, then we're turning off the source. At best, at best we're limiting the flow. So what do we do? Well, Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth. If God is the source of all that we have, then we need to realize that God is to receive the best that we have. God is to receive the best that we have. Not the leftovers. Not just what we think we can spare or a little something to help our conscience. The Bible says God's to receive the best that we have. What scriptures say here in Proverbs chapter three? It says we're to share with him the first fruits. What's the idea of that there? The best that I have, the first that I have. I give that to him. The Old Testament concept is what's referred to as the tithe. The tithe is that 10% of what you have, you give that back to God. So the principle that I learned when I was growing up is that when I receive income, I take the first 10% and I give that back to God. Malachi 3 says you do that to the storehouse. We believe that's the local church, that you give that back to God. And scripture says that there's a blessing that comes with that. That's kind of that Old Testament concept. The New Testament, Jesus affirms the idea of the tithe in Matthew 23, but then Paul just blows the doors off the thing. Paul says, don't worry about a percentage. He says, ask God what he would have for you to give. Don't limit it. Say, God, of what you've given me, what do you want me to do with that? You know, when people say, well, how should I honor God with my finances? Calvary, we teach a couple of things. We teach the biblical concept of the tithe, that 10% of what I have, I give that back to God. And then we talk about times when you can give an offering. When you pray, God, what would you have for me to do to be supportive of what you're doing? In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about missions and how we encourage you to pray and to go and also to give so that people can go around the world and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We have what we refer to as our By Faith Initiative. This was started about five years ago for us to be able to renovate this facility, and we're actually at a point again where we're going to have to do some more kind of extensive renovations. We are, are, are seeing record number of kids show up here just about every Sunday morning. It's awesome. It's great to see, yeah, it's great, it's great. Until you're the one trapped in that little room with all those four-year-olds, right? So we need more rooms. In fact, we're in the process right now of trying to figure out how are we gonna renovate parts of this building that is, is paid for through this By Faith initiative. It's where these resources come from. Now here's the thing, you get to this certain point, you're like, oh, I knew he was getting to this. They're gonna hand out cards, they're gonna lock the doors till we take an offering, they're gonna do something right now, I know it, I know it. Sometimes, don't listen for a minute, Rhonda. Sometimes I tell my wife I love her because I'm in trouble. <laughs> I did something, said something, shouldn't have done something. Did something I shouldn't have done. Should have done something I didn't do. There's all kinds of options, right? But I'm in trouble. And so I say to her, Rhonda, I love you. <laughs> and she looks at me and says, sure you do. Sure you do. You just said that because you were in trouble. And then there's other times 
you just realize, man, I love her because of who she is. It's not because I'm in trouble. I'm just saying this because I love her. Look, just so you know, the things we're talking about here today about money, we're not saying because we're in trouble. We're in the book of Proverbs. We're talking about success. This is a major theme in this book, so it comes up. And the truth is we don't talk about giving today because we're in trouble. The reality is God has prospered us as a church in these last couple of years. He's favored us in these areas. And I think it's been for a reason. We have these resources because there's ministry that he wants to do as we move forward. In the next few months in particular, we're going to talk about some exciting things that God wants for us to do, I believe, in our facility and beyond. And he's favoring us with that. Could we use more? Always. Could you use more? (laughs) Yes, always. Amen, brother. Right? But I'm not saying this because we're in trouble. In fact, we're in a really good spot right now. I'm saying it because I love you. And as your pastor, I don't want you to miss this. The Bible's very clear. The source is God. And when you honor him with what he's given to you, you open up that source in your basement. Does that make sense? So that he can flow more through. When you honor him with your finances, now you have your hands open to receive. And watch this. This is the beautiful of this verse in Proverbs chapter 3. God blesses us when we honor him with what we have. Don't misread that. That does not say, God, I gave, so now you have to bless me, right? It says, look, when you're willing to entrust what you have to him, he'll bless you in ways where you will overflow with what he has to give to you. You can entrust him with that. You can give that to him. Look, this isn't a message about wealth. This is a message about trust. And you can apply it to your wallet and your purse, or you can apply it to your relationships. You can apply it to your work. You can apply it to your family. You can apply it to any other place in your walk with God where you need something. He is the source. And when you entrust it to him, you know that you can believe that he'll bless you in that. Amen? Look, many of us invite God into part of our lives, except that part of our wallets or our purses. And the alternative then is that you're trying to trust your own riches. Proverbs 18, 11. Read carefully what this says, because it's a little bit different from the other verses we've talked about. Proverbs 18, 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. What's the key word in that verse? <laughs> imagine. They think it's that. They look at their wealth and go, I got it. It's covered. I look at my money and say, I'm okay. I look at my relationships and say, I'm good. I look at my job and I go, man, am I, am I secure here? I look at my looks and I go, hey, I can count on that. I look at my ability and say, I can do that, right? We do those things. The truth is this. A confidence in wealth creates an unrealistic sense of security. If you're building your security on anything in your life that is not your relationship with Jesus Christ, man, you're forgetting the source and you're putting it all in jeopardy. Instead, that's, that's verse 11, right? They imagine they're secure. Look at the verse just before it, verse 10, because there's contrast there. Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Look, I don't know where you're putting your confidence, but confidence and security are only found when we trust in the Lord. Confidence and security are only found when we trust in the Lord. So I don't know where you are. I just know I don't want you to be a fool. So don't be lazy. Don't spend carelessly. Don't be stingy. 
for crying out loud, don't forget the source because he's the one who blesses us. It's good, Chad. Right? It's good, Chad, right? (laughs) But do you know where I am? Do you know what I'm up against? Do you know what's real life for me? Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in some other part of your life. Maybe it's the health diagnosis you got this last week. Maybe it's the issue you're facing at work. Maybe it's that thing in your home that you're going, how am I going to? It's this story in Matthew where um, these, these rulers come to Peter and they ask him about paying taxes. Do you pay taxes? Does Jesus pay taxes? He's like, yeah, we do that. He gets back and Jesus starts talking to him about this, this idea of paying the taxes. In April, do any of you understand the idea of paying the taxes? And Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go catch a fish. And you catch that fish, and in the mouth of that fish is going to be this coin, and that coin's going to be just enough to cover your taxes and my taxes. Will you take that, and will you go pay that? You know what Peter did? Now, we don't know this in Scripture, but we've got to imply from the way it goes. Peter went right down to the mommy, put his waders on, right? Went out there, pulled that walleye in, and when he did, he found that coin. And he paid that off. In fact, some of you are probably going to go fishing this afternoon in faith. Amen? Here's what Jesus was saying. Peter, look, those things, those temporal needs you've got, those things that are hanging over your head, I got this, buddy. I already took care of that. And I don't know what crazy way God can provide for you. I don't know what journey he might take you on, that in the value of your hard work, he's going to give you what you need. I just know this, that no matter where you are or what you're in the midst of, you can trust in him. He'll provide But if you want him to provide, it's got to start with recognizing him as your source. So that means you got to have to start working hard. It may mean you have to be more diligent with your spending. It might mean he's asking you to give so your hands will be open. I just know this, that once you recognize the source, then you're ready to receive the blessing. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. Pastor John's going to lead us a couple of times in that song we sang earlier that takes our eyes off of ourselves and off of our situation and looks to God. And if you need his provision, if you need him to be the source in your life today, then as we sing this, would you acknowledge him and lift him up as we look up to him? Thank you, God. Thou will look up, for there is none above you. Now will bow down to tell you that I need you, Jesus, Lord of I will look back and see that you are faithful. And I look ahead, believing you are able, Jesus, Lord of all. Sing that again. Make it your prayer. I will look up. And I will look up, for there is none above you. And I will bow down. To tell you that I need you, Jesus, Lord of all. Remember that he's faithful. And I will look back and see that you are faithful. And I look ahead, believing you are able, Jesus, Lord of all. God, we thank you that you are Lord of all, every area of our lives. 
So Lord, even as we talk about our, our money, which the Bible is anything but silent about, Lord, help us to let these principles apply in our lives in the places that you would desire them to. And God, you know the one who has a need today, for whom this, this message is a, is a moment of encouragement. I say, God, I recognize you as my source, and I'm looking for you to supply and strengthen to show your faithfulness in my life. God, I pray that you would allow them to know you in a very real way. God, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.